Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Be sure to check out MorbidlyBeautiful.com right now for all your horror pop culture needs. From reviews, top 10 lists, interviews, and everything in between, they have it all. They also have a very extensive library of podcasts for you to listen to and enjoy as well. So when you finish up here, go check out what they have to offer. One last thing I want to plug this week is, you may remember a woman by the name of Elizabeth McCafferty. She was a guest on the Women in Horror podcast month that I did way back in February, and she is re-kickstarting her Kickstarter, or Indiegogo in this case. Due to the pandemic and all that sort of fun stuff, she wasn't able to complete her campaign, and thus she wasn't able to film her movie. But she's back at it, things have calmed down, I guess enough, for her to be able to restart her project. So if you want to go donate to that and help out a wonderful filmmaker make a wonderful film, you know where to go. The link is in the description. As for today's episode, well, it's special, because every time I do a History of Demons podcast, it's a special one. It's one of my favorite topics to cover. I have a huge book full of tons of great information written by Michelle Bellinger, and I just can't wait to get into it. So today we're going to go over a few different aspects of demonology, from the nine choirs of heaven and hell, to a very specific demon, and we'll see how much time we have left at the end, and maybe I'll throw in a little bit of an extra as well. So without further ado, this is the History of Demons. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. As I said off the top, this is The History of Demons, and I do have a book here called The Dictionary of Demons, written by Michelle Bellinger. I will be reading almost verbatim from this book because it is just so full of great information, it's well written, and it makes for a fun read. So we're going to start off with the nine choirs of heaven and hell, and it starts as such. By the Middle Ages, it was widely accepted that the heavenly hosts were comprised of nine distinct orders of angels. The celestial hierarchy was divided up into three tiers, or spheres, and these were ranked in order from those closest to the throne of God to those closest to the physical realm. The most influential church scholar on the topic was Pseudo-Dionysus, the Aeropagite who created his celestial hierarchy in the 4th or 5th century of the Common Era. St. Thomas Aquinas also wrote on the angelic hierarchy in his Summa Theologica. St. Gregory the Great additionally promoted the concept of the nine choirs in his works as well. Four of the orders of the angels are drawn from the Old Testament sources. These are also angels, archangels, cherubim, and seraphim. The remaining orders come from Paul's letter to the Ephesians and his letter to the Colossians. The three spheres go as such. Top sphere have the seraphim, cherubim, and the thrones. The middle sphere has the dominions, virtues, and powers. And the lower sphere has the principalities, archangels, and angels. In the Middle Ages and Renaissance, the order of the dominions was sometimes also called the order of dominations. The Order of the Powers was sometimes known as the Order of Potestates. Principalities and powers were added as 
requires in the angelic hierarchy, at least in part because of the reference in Romans 8.38 that speaks of angels, principalities, and powers. Although the text does not clarify identity of the principalities and powers as orders of angels, early church fathers such as Pseudo-Dionysus interpreted them as such. As many demons were formerly angels before their fall, it made sense for medieval writers to assume that demons would at least retain some vestiges of the ninefold hierarchy. Thus, works like the Gosha made note of which demons belong to which orders before their fall. Sometimes the orders of the demons are not presented in the past tense, suggesting that the hierarchy of hell may simply be a dark reflection of the nine angelic orders. This would be in keeping with Kabbalistic notions, which outline an angelic hierarchy based upon the ten Sephiroth of the Tree of Life. The system of the Kabbalah accounts for something called the Klipoth. This is essentially a dark reflection of the Tree of Life, populated by demons who are viewed as husks or shells, left over from an imperfect creation. So now that we have a better understanding of the hierarchy of angels and therefore demons, we can get into one of the more powerful ones I can't believe I have never covered on this show. I'm talking about Asmodeus, or as some say, Asmodee. We're going to start with the Asmodee, as it has a slightly different lore and a little bit of a variant in terms of just spelling and origins. The book describes Asmodee as a variant spelling of the demon Asmodeus. In Dr. Rudd's early 17th century work, A Treatise on Angel Magic, Asmodee, spelled a little bit different with A-I at the end, is curiously described as a demon who, quote, hath one idea called Muriel, incorporated into two figures, Geomantic, called Populus by day, and Via by night. Nothing further is offered to help make sense of this enigmatic statement. In addition to the curious declaration, Dr. Rudd's work describes Asmodee as a spirit connected with the moon. Asmodee is also identified as one of the 72 Goshic demons. According to the Gosha, he is a king with 72 legions of spirits beneath him. When he manifests, he comes riding a dragon. His form is monstrous, having three heads, a serpent's tail, and webbed feet. He has the head of a bull, a ram, and a man and he vomits fire. He tries to deceive people about his true nature, often giving them the name Sidone instead of Asmodee. Those dealing with him are cautioned to press him until he acknowledges his true name. A Gotic demon, Asmodee can make people invisible and disclose the whereabouts of hidden treasures. Additionally, he teaches arithmetic, astronomy, geometry, and handicrafts. He also has the power to bestow and enchant items known as the Ring of Virtues. In Wyrus's Pseudo-Demonicaria Demonum, Asmodee is also mentioned in connection with Solomon's Brazen Vessel. Here, he is described as a third in rank of the 72 Infernal Kings, shut up in that vessel by the Biblical Patriarch. According to the Gosha of Dr. Rudd, he is an Infernal King serving under Amaimon, the demonic ruler of the East, and he is said to be constrained in the name of the angel Vesariah. So now that we have Asmodee out of the way, let's go straight into Asmodeus. Asmodeus is described as the king of the demons. 
Asmodeus appears in the Book of Tobit, sometimes also known as the Book of Tobias. According to this story, the demon Asmodeus fell in love with this beautiful Sarah, daughter of Raguel. Asmodeus wanted Sarah for himself, and he refused to allow her to be married to any human man. Subsequently, each time that Sarah was married, the demon came to the marriage bed and took the life of her new husband. Seven men fell to the predations of this jealous demon, until Tobias, the eponymous author of the book, received a visit from Angel Raphael, who instructed him on how to handle the demonic paramour. Tobias married Sarah and drove the demon away. Asmodeus reportedly fled to the farthest reaches of Egypt, where he was then bound by the angel Raphael. In the Testament of Solomon, Asmodeus also plays a significant role. Here the demon is called by King Solomon, who demands to know its name and functions. This version of Asmodeus claims to have been put in charge of the destruction of fidelity, either by separating man and wife through calamities or by causing husbands to be led astray. I think we all know what that means. He is also said to attack the beauty of virgins, causing them to waste away. In a passage that echoes the Book of Tobit, Asmodeus admits that the angel Raphael holds power over him. He could also be put to flight by burning the gall of a certain fish. Further in the Testament of Solomon, Asmodeus claims to have been quote, born an angel's seed by a daughter of man, end quote. A statement that connects him firmly with the traditions of the Watcher Angels. The statement also reflects in the portion of the Jewish Haggadah concerned with the life of Noah. Here, Asmodeus is said to have been born of the union of the fallen angel, Shamdan, and the lustful maiden, Nama. He's reputedly bound by King Solomon with iron, a metal that was often presented as an anathema to demons. Curiously, in the fairy lore of the British Isles, iron is also a metal that can harm or drive away the fae. The grimoire of Armadale mentions Asmodeus in conjunction with Leviathan, claiming that these two demons can teach about the malice of other devils. However, that text cautions against summoning these two beings, citing the fact that they lie. Francis Barrett's The Magus depicts an image of Asmodeus associating him with the sin of wrath. Asmodeus is mentioned in Arthur Edward Waite's 1910 book of Black Magic and Pax, where he is listed as the superintendent of Hell's casinos. The demonic hierarchy stems from the writings of the 19th century demonologist Charles Barbeguire, rendered as Madi in the Mathers translation of the sacred magics of Abramlay and the Mage. This demon is identified as one of eight sub princes ruling all over the other demons. According to this text, Asmodeus has the power to produce food, typically in the form of vast, impressive banquets. He can also know the secrets of any person. He also has the power to transmute metals and transmogrify people and animals, changing their shapes at will. He also appears in the 32nd Demon of the Gosha under the name Asmodee, which we already discussed. I've mentioned a few names in there that aren't demonic, such as Burbaguire, so I figure it's only right to get into his lore and his history a little bit as well. Charles Burbaguire was a French man who lived between 1765 and 1851. Burbaguire believed himself to be plagued by a host of demons, 
whom he referred to as goblins or farfadet in French. His full name was Alexis Vincent Charles Burbequire, and he lived near Terre Nouveau du Time. He claimed not only to have been repeatedly victimized by these demons, among other things, they were responsible for the death of his pet squirrel, Coco. How dare they? But he also allegedly carried out extensive correspondence with them, both sending and receiving letters from various emissaries of hell. Burbaguire wrote and illustrated his three-volume autobiography and published it between the years of 1818 and 1821. For the benefit of others who might learn how to battle with demons through his own experiences, he titled the massive, rambling work Les Farfadets, où tous les démons ne sont pas de la tour monde, or Goblins, or Not All Demons Are From The Other World. In this work, he offers extensive information on the court of hell, describing Satan as a deposed prince with Beelzebub ruling in his place. Rodomago, the demon who served as Burbaguire's personal tormentor, supposedly answered directly to Beelzebub. The hellish hierarchy gets even more colorful, apparently patterning his concept of the infernal court off the court of Louis XIV. Burbaguire goes on to define roles for various demons found in no other existing demonic hierarchy. This includes a gentleman of the bedchamber, a lord of the casinos, and even a grand pantler of hell. The word pantler, for the record, comes from the French word for bread, pain, and is totally unrelated to pants. Fair enough. In the court of European kings, the pantler was the master of the pantry. Again, fair enough. Burbaguire's work was known by Colin de Plancy, the eminent demonographer responsible for the existence of the Dictionary Infernel. De Plancy, disparagingly, referred to Burbaguire as the Don Quixote of demons, but nevertheless included Burbaguire's material on demons in his own dictionary. Several occult scholars, including A.E. Waite, drew upon Burbaguire's material via De Plancy, frequently mistaking the original source of the hierarchy. Waite, for example, attributed much of Burbaguire's work to Johannes Weiris. And I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. Demons have always fascinated me, and they always will. And I picked up this book a long time ago, and I'm still working my way through it. Perhaps there'll be some more dictionary readings in the future for some more episodes of the history of demons. Once again, my name is Casey. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you can leave a review for podcasts. Any five-star reviews will get read out on the show. You can also check me out on social media, on Twitter, at HorrorShotsProd, as in production, on Instagram, at OmnisOriginsPod, or on Facebook, at HorrorShots. You can also leave a review there, it will be read out as well. Although it's not super active, I invite you all to come and leave some comments, and write, and start a discussion. You never know who you might meet, and what friends you might acquire. If you do want to support the show financially, you can do so by checking out my Redbubble store. I have a brand new logo which I just threw up on the Redbubble site and changed in the show description as well. And you can buy that on a t-shirt or a mug or iPad case, whatever you want. All the money does come back here, so it does help the show out financially. and helps me improve and put more time and quality into the episodes. And lastly, once again, be sure to check out Love You to Death by Elizabeth McCafferty. Again, that link will be in the description. Until next week.